It was, uh, it was on March 18 of uh, 1937 in uh, great tragedy, in fact, one of the greatest tragedies on American soil um, in London, Texas. The school, uh, a school, an elementary school, New London school, exploded. <clears throat> and 295 people died, uh, most of them elementary school children. The people that had witnessed the event said that the roof literally lifted off and the sides bulged out. Uh, upon investigation, it was a, a gas leak. Uh, natural gas is, is efficient, but it is odorless and colorless. And uh, they think that some tool used at that time sparked and brought such tragedy uh, to so many lives. I think the greatest danger is a threat that is often undetected. You know, in Proverbs, we've been hearing these warnings. It's like the father to the son warning him about certain dangers, trying to prepare him. You know, when we look at the Proverbs, remember what the book's about. It's God giving wisdom to his people to live in a world that's opposed to God, that's opposed to him. The Proverbs are really trying to lead us to a life of joy. You know, we're going to have ultimate joy when we see God, but he wants us to have joy now. And one of the threats to this joy is envy. Envy is very, very, the ancients all say, envy is the second and most prevalent sin, and it's hard to detect, but very dangerous. In fact, it's, it's so dangerous. Here's what Solomon says about it in chapter 27.4. He says, Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy or envy? Now, this wrath is cruel and anger. Wrath and anger, they give way to dissension, to division, and ultimately lead to death. And yet, jealousy and envy are worse. These Wrath and anger are subordinate in terms of their danger to envy? Would you have guessed that? Well, I want to try to answer three questions today. Number one, what do you envy? What do you envy right now? Kind of talk a little bit about that. And, and, then, and then, if you don't detect the envy in your life, what's, going to, what's the cost going to be to you? What are you going to have to pay if you don't detect this envy? And then ultimately, how do we overcome this envy? So we're going to kind of follow the same line as we have been through Proverbs. But, but first, what do you envy? So when I speak about envy, um, and I really, all of us here envy. All of us do. I mean, maybe some to a lesser degree, but we all envy. So what do you envy? When you think of envy, what do you think? Do you just think it's a nicer car that the neighbor has? You, you have a two-year-old car, and he has a brand spanking new car, and that's really attractive to you? That, that is envy, no doubt about it. A nicer house, nicer car, perhaps better job. But, but there's something more about envy that I want you to understand. The, the difference with envy over just something like, I like the nicer car, is that there is a, there is a sadness or sorrow in us for the benefit that another has. So, so in other words, envy is unique in that envy is related to some advantage that somebody has 
that I either don't have or I want to have. You can be envious over who a person is. You can be envious over what a person has. But envy always has that sorrow or sadness or grief or anger or bitterness or hatred associated with it. Aquinas said, here's how he defines envy. Thomas Aquinas, a medieval theologian, says that it's sorrow over another's good. That's what it is, sorrow over another's good. Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian in New England, said this, it is a spirit of dissatisfaction with an opposition so it's a spirit of dissatisfaction with and opposition to the prosperity or happiness of others as compared with your own. So it, 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 it's comparative. Now, envy, envy, the sin of envy comes from pride. Pride gives birth and fuels it. See, pride is that sense of superiority over another. But when someone gets something that I now don't have, my pride is wounded, and, and out comes envy. So here's how C.S. Lewis says about this dynamic. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. It's always that comparative. And you know, envy entered our world in the first couple, right? When they saw the forbidden fruit and they saw it as better than the myriads of orchards that were given to them to enjoy, it was a better than. There was envy there. You see it in Cain and Abel. The two children of Adam and Eve, you know, they both present their sacrifices. God accepts the sacrifice of Abel he doesn't accept the sacrifice of Cain, and Cain, in anger, murders Abel. Now, I don't think Cain really cared about God accepting the sacrifice or not. I think he cared that Abel got something that he didn't. The same thing in Joseph and his brothers, Leah and Rachel. So what do you think you envy? I mean, is it when someone is successful, do you feel that sense of bitterness or anger or they're getting some advantage that you're not? I mean, in the business world, someone comes into your office, they're younger, they're sharper, they're quicker, they have some good ideas, and boom, they begin to get some notice from the higher-ups. Well, what's your feeling towards that person? Is it a sense of intimidation? Is it fear? Is it anger? Or what about when a woman walks in the room, a bunch of ladies, and she's younger, she's thinner, she's very pretty, very fashionable. What do, you, do you look at your clothes and start to think, you know, I just got dressed out of the missionary barrel? I mean, do you, do you begin to compare yourself? Or, or for example, um, you meet a family at church. Their kids seem so well-behaved. They're so well-dressed. And yet you look at your kids. And you don't see them as well-behaved. And you immediately have this sense of, of either bitterness or anger or frustration or maybe sorrow or grieving. You meet another couple. They seem so happily married. He's so gentle with her. He's so kind to her. He listens to her. And you immediately begin to think, well, my husband doesn't do that. And boom, envy, envy climbs right in. I mean, I mean envy is just... 
what envy is, the source of envy, you'll know where it is by what you value. If you value wealth and prosperity, then you will envy those who are richer than you are. If you value beauty, then you're going to envy those prettier than you. If you, if you value success, then you're going to envy those who have climbed the ladder faster than you. If you envy popularity, or if you value popularity, then you're going to envy those who are funnier than you. And be aware when you're looking for envy, it's usually not the people that are outside your world. It's actually those people usually closest to you. You know, most, if I could say most women in here, don't envy the life of a professional athlete. They're in a different world. The envy isn't there. The envy is much closer to who we are. They're more like us. So I came across this blog called Facebook Envy. And uh, I'm not taking a swing at Facebook here. I don't want you to misread what I'm saying. But these little snippets of life, there's the person on the hill overlooking the valley, and she says, this is my life, whatever that means. And the person on the beach, and the sunset, and it's beautiful. And, they, and Facebook can tend to highlight snippets of the most perfect part of your life. They're plastered over the internet, and then you look at your life, and you're thinking, man, I never get to go to a mountain. I never get to go to the beach. I never get to say these things. I never get to see these things. Or, or a, a personal blog that Carol reminded me of, the, a woman who says, her children love each other, and they love to play together. I thought, we wouldn't have written that one. There is no way. And, and, but, but I'm not disparaging. I'm thankful that she has that. But the envy just makes its way so quickly. Or for me, going to a pastor's conference. Boom, envy. Boy, I wish I could preach like that guy. Boy, I wish I had influence like that guy. It's incredible. And then envy comes in, well, he's probably got a team of researchers. He's probably got a team of writers. You know, start justifying, well, that's envy. That is flat-out envy. That's what it is. I'm envious of what they have because it seems like they have an advantage over me. You know, the old story is the fourth-century story of, uh, of envy regarding a monk that was in the desert, godly man, desert father, Satan, would send these demons to tempt him. And they would tempt him with lust, and they would tempt him with anger, and they would tempt him with, with materialism. Nothing worked. He was a godly man. Satan said, you've been trying hard things. Try good things. Go up to him and tell him that his friend was just made the bishop of Antioch. And then the man grew envious and jealous as a friend got something that he didn't. So it's a real deal. Can you admit that you have this? I mean, I mean, do you ever do a thorough examination of your soul regarding the envy that you may have? Do you ever think about, why do I want that? And, and, and I am envious of this person? Now, I, I don't want you to feel guilty right now. I don't want you... It, it would do me nor you any good to feel like, yeah... I'm a rotten guy, and you go, you know, kick the dust around. I don't want that. As Christians, we can make an honest appraisal of who we are. And, and we can honestly evaluate who we are. And if we struggle with envy, let's just say it. 
And, and the reason that only the Christian can do this is because we have the gospel. See, I want to keep reminding you this pathway to repentance is very redemptive. We have the gospel, and when I say that to the Christian here, what I mean is, is that you have one who has brought such merits to God that he's satisfied the wrath of God against us. And so we don't fear God anymore. In other words, our acceptance doesn't rest in how you did this week. And since your acceptance with God doesn't rest on the level of performance that you have meted out, we can examine our hearts and say, I am envious. Father, forgive me. And you can be refreshed by the gospel. You can be refreshed by the fact, I love that stanza. Christ defeated every sin. The one who was never envious died for the envious. So our sins of envy have been paid for by Christ. The Father is now satisfied. So we can repent and be refreshed and ask God for the grace. God, align my mind so that I don't value things of others rather than value you. So that's why the gospel, that's how the gospel leads us out of of good spirit conviction to joy and satisfaction and delight. So we are envious. And we would be wise to identify it, to repent of it, remind ourselves of the gospel. So what are you envious of? I want that in your mind now, because now I'm going to swing to the second question. What will it cost you if you don't detect this and go after it? Go after it like a child of hell. I mean, you want to go after it, you want to put this to death. That's how serious it is. There's three costs I see, and I've just piled them into three areas just for the sake of memory. The first is it's going to ruin you, it's going to ruin your relationships, and it's going to ruin your worship of God. So if you don't identify it and go after it, this is going to be the cost. Number one, it's going to ruin you. Here's what Solomon says in Proverbs. He says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So in other words, the heart that is right with God, tranquil, in peace with God, boom, it's going to be lovely. But the envy makes the bones rot. It's like uh, Jonathan Edwards said, it's like a caterpillar just consuming its host until it's completely finished. The Greeks would use a word for envy that meant uh, fading away, deteriorating pining away. What happens is it slowly turns you from an image bearer of God to losing that image. You know, it it makes your bones rot. We we also see this kind of relationship between the spiritual posture of our heart and the outward manifestation in our life. How's it going to ruin you? Well, it's going to ruin your joy. Do you realize that envy is the only sin that doesn't give you something? Even adultery gives you something initially. It gives you the, the pleasure of illicit sex. Now, there's a train of trouble smoking right after that thing. But, but there is a moment of pleasure. Or greed. Greed gives you things. It's nice. It improves a sense of life. Gossip. Gossip gives you the pleasure of knocking down that person that you're competing with. But envy gives you no pleasure. You have no pleasure with envy. You only have sadness, grief, Sorrow, bitterness, anger. You will get no pleasure out of it. It it puts you constantly on that hamster wheel where you never have the joy in what you do have. 
It takes away the joy from the things, the family and the life and the talents and the gifts you have. You won't have the joy associated with that because you're always looking over there at that person. And what advantages they have? It, it robs you of, of love. It ruins you to love. You can't love if you envy the person. It says, love doesn't envy. Love seeks the betterment. Envy seeks the detriment of a person. They can't go together. I remember the time that uh, Carol and I bought a, a van, a new van. And uh, we bought it at the end of the, of the season, you know, right before the new models come out, because they tend to be cheaper that way. And the new model had, I don't know, 18 different bells and whistles that ours didn't have. And I immediately started thinking, I'm looking at a brand new car, thinking, and it doesn't have fold-down seats. That, that's, I know that's stupid, but that's envy. You, you, you look at what you don't have, even though I've got a brand new car in front of me. So it takes away the joy, but it also ruins your relationships. It, it ruins your relationships because the nature of envy is that it's competitive. It's looking across the way. You can't rejoice with those who are rejoicing because you want what they're rejoicing over. And so you tend to mourn over those who rejoice. And so sadly, you rejoice when they lose. It, it, envy twists us completely. Scriptures say rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. No, it's the other way for us. It breeds suspicion in you. It, you know, you're in a relationship with an office with some friends, and someone gets a nod ahead of you, and you become suspicious. Well, you know, he probably is making some inroads with the boss. Well, his dad used to work here. You know, you become suspicious of the success of other people. You can't rejoice in it. Dorothy Sayers, a great author and really quite insightful in human nature, said, envy is the great leveler. If it cannot level things up, it will level them down. Rather than have someone happier than myself, it would rather be all miserable together. Isn't that true? When your children, if you took your child, if you took a, child, a toy away from your child, gave it to them, the child doesn't want, if he can't have it, he doesn't want anybody to have it. I don't want anybody to be happy. If I'm not happy, nobody's going to be happy. There's an old Greek fable talking about the power of envy. And it was this man, and he appears before the gods. And the gods say, you get one wish, any wish you want, you could have, on one condition. Your neighbor gets twice what you want. Twice. So the man said, take one eye out of my head to blind the other. Now, it's a fable, but it shows you the power of envy. That as long as he doesn't have more than I have, it ruins relationship. It divides people that are meant to be together. But not only that, it destroys your worship. It destroys your worship, thirdly, because, because you're ungrateful to God for what he's given you. If you're always looking across the way, you're not thankful for what he has given you, the talents and the gifts and the blessings, the position in life, the education or the wisdom that you have. If you're always looking at what everybody else has, you're never saying, God, thank you for all that you have been to me and all that you've given to me. And I hear this many times. Wish I had that. Wish I was smarter. Wish I, was, I just wish I was quicker on the draw. I, I, I wish I was thinner. I wish I was taller. 
I wish I had a, a, a different opportunity. I wish I went to a different school. And we live in a world of wishing. And, and we never are able to thank God. God, you've sovereignly chosen to make me the way I am. And he's so full of wisdom, can he do wrong? And not only that, but, but then it, it also makes me ungrateful to God for how he has given gifts to other people. I'm not appreciating the gifts of God in the people that God sovereignly distributed. But, but I'm not envious of those. So I'm losing on both ends. But not only does it ruin our, our worship in, in the sense of we're ungrateful to God, but it actually leads us into sin. In, in, in James 3.16, he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. What does he mean by this? Well, if I'm really envious of that man's wife, that's going to make me susceptible, interested, weakened to move towards that man's wife, adultery. If I'm envious of that neighbor's lifestyle, then I'm going to start buying things that I can't afford to buy so as to have that lifestyle, incurring debt, using financial irresponsibility. Or, or if, I really, if I'm really envious of this person's success, then it's going, to, it's going to lend me to maybe gossip, maybe sow some seeds. Well, you probably don't know the, the whole story. Let me just fill it out for you a little bit. Take him down at the knees a bit. So envy leads to greater sin. It leads to all kinds of disorder. So it's a serious thing here. Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian here, what do you do with envy? I mean, what do you do when you see people progress? When you look at them and they have greater gifts than you have, perhaps, or they have better opportunities, or they have other doors open to them that you don't have. What do you do? How do you handle that? I mean, what is it that you really want? And, and what is the worth of what you really want? So if, if you've got in your mind, the first question is, what do I envy? What do I want really, really, really bad? And then these are the costs. If I don't deal with it right, these are the costs I'm going to pay. For, for non-Christian, what do you really want? And what is the worth of it? And then I want to ask you, how long will it last? When will the next thing come by? When will the next generation come by that makes your current generation kind of old and, and useless? I think this makes God kind of self-evident here. Because the fact that you are craving, 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 and you can never be satisfied with all the things of this world, I think makes God evident that he has placed within you something that his creation can never satisfy, but only him alone. Augustine said this years ago. He said, my soul finds no rest until it finds rest in thee. God has created us to crave him. And so to try to crave, try to fill our cravings with the things of this world, the things that we see in the lives of other people, you will be forever dissatisfied. You will forever be eating and never full. You will be drinking and your thirst will never be quenched. You'll always be pursuing joy and you'll always be dissatisfied because you have been built for him. C.S. Lewis said the same thing. He said this, if I find in myself a desire for an experience that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And for the Christian here, run from envy. I mean, identify, what do I envy? Why do I envy it? What are the costs that I've paid? Do I want to live not, not detecting the cost associated with envy? Do you know in Galatians 5, 
He lines up envy with adultery, immorality, gluttony, idolatry. It's the same. Now, it may not have the immediate same social impact, but it's the same. It's on, it's on par. That's what envy will do to you. So, so you have this situation, what do I envy? What's the cost of what I envy? And, and then the last question I, I wanted to ask was, how can we overcome this monster? How can, how can we move beyond this? And, and we see it in uh, Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. I'll read 17 first. He says, let not your heart envy sinners. Now I know when, when I, okay, let me read that again. Let not your heart envy sinners. Okay, now what he's speaking here isn't that we envy the sin of the sinner. We envy the life of the sinner. So his sinning, his sinning ways and his sinning styles bring to him many things that are enviable. So he's saying, he's saying, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. But continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Okay, what's that mean? We've, we've gone over this a few times, but, but bear with me to repeat it. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is not fright. It's not terror. The fear of the Lord is an expression for our worship of God. The fear of the Lord is a human response to God as he reveals himself in all of his good glory. So if you are an Old Testament saint reading this, and, and you would have heard the expression, the fear of the Lord, your mind would have been drawn back, for example, to the Exodus. The Exodus where God demonstrates judgment upon the sin of Egypt and grace upon an undeserving nation of Israel. So judgment and grace, deliverance out of slavery, and being brought out of that, we stand before God and we're in fear of his powerful judgment and yet his unfathomable grace. We're in awe of someone so mighty and so gracious and so kind. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's an awe over God. For the New Testament saint, it would be us looking back at the cross and seeing God's righteous judgment on sin and his grace poured on, well, the judgment poured on us, Christ, the grace poured on us. And we'd stand back and we'd say, why? I'm in awe of you, God, that would be so gracious and kind to, to punish your own sin to save me? There's an awe. There should be kind of a, a jaw-dropping response. Even though you may have heard this gospel 10,000 times, we never will fatigue. We'll always be singing about it in Revelation 5. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain with his bloody purchased men from God, for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we're singing about it forever. And so that's the fear of the Lord. Is The fear of the Lord is literally our worshipful response of all to his great power and his mercy to us. Now, you remember the book of Proverbs is really a book of commands. It's a book of imperatives. Imperatives is a command. It's things that we should be doing. Wisdom that he's giving us that we ought to live in. And you really don't see many indicatives in Proverbs. You don't see many statements of, 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 um, of grace in the sense of this is, this is who you are. It's just more imperative, imperative, imperative. But the fear of the Lord is the foundation of all those imperatives. So what I mean by that is it's the grace of God. 
It's that awe and worship that we see, that's what motivates the following out of the wisdom that we have. So we don't, we're not duty-bound Christians where you've got to do this because the Bible says so. Well, although that has merit, we are walking in obedience to these things. We are putting envy to death because he's so worthy of our awe and worship. So how does that, how does worship crush envy? That's the question. How does the gospel defeat envy? Well, remember, envy arises in you from the perceived benefits and advantages of those around you. How the gospel or how the fear of the Lord defeats envy is because we begin to think what we have in the gospel. What we have, we have forgiveness, we have adoption, we have reconciliation, we have unification with Christ, united with him forever. That we have the promises of God. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your heavenly Father, he knows you need all these things. You seek first his kingdom. So so the way that the gospel of the fear of the Lord defeats envy is to begin to to behold Christ. And to behold him and say, what do I need that he doesn't have? And so why should I fuss that that person has this They're taller compared to that. Well, they're a little smarter than I am compared to all I have is Christ. Or they have better advantages or they have a bigger house. You know, they always get to drive new cars. Compared to this reconciliation with the creator of the universe who loves you. What a great love. He has lavished on us to be called children of God. I mean, your identity is in him. It's not in the things that you have or even the physical characteristics that you are. That's that's how we crush envy. We hold it up to what we have in Christ. We behold Christ. We see this kind of played out in Psalm 73. If I give you homework today, it would be go read the entirety of Psalm 73. Let me read you a few verses. Asaph is a worshiper, and he is struggling in his worship because he he sees the riches. He says their bodies are sleek. Of the wicked. Here's what he says. He says, As for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on to talk about their bodies and what they get to eat. And he really paints like, hey, they got a great life, and I was really envious of their life. He says, But when I thought how to understand, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He was struggling with understanding, God, I'm faithful to you. I'm faithful to you, and I see their prosperity and their health and their joy, and I'm so envious of them. Here's what he says. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until he went to worship. And he said, I've got God. I've got God. I've got it all. I've got the Son who has revealed him to me, has saved me and brought me to God. I have God. He says, then I discerned their ends. And so he says to himself, here's what he has. I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart, they may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what worship does. This joy in worship. Read Psalm 63. Taste and see that God is good. 
So to, cr to crush envy is with the weight of his glory that is ours in Christ. So for the Christian, we crush it under the weight of God. That's the first thing we look up. But the second thing is in, is in verse 18 of Proverbs 23. Oh, this is what Charles Spurgeon said. This was good. I was afraid I'd forget this. He says, the cure for envy lies in living under the constant sense of the divine presence, worshiping God and communing with him all the day long, however long the day may seem. True religion lifts the soul into a higher region where the judgment becomes clearer and the desires are more elevated. The more of heaven there is in our lives, the less of earth we covet. The fear of the Lord casts out envy of men. It's incredible. But, but we don't just look up to God. We also look ahead to this day. Look in 18, Proverbs 23, 18. He says, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. I'm going to talk more about this next week, but let me just touch on it here. That you, the Christian here, you have a future because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has brought about, and Paul said clearly, if Christ be not raised, we are men to be pitied. We might as well eat and drink and be merry. You might as well party yourselves to death. You might as well do it if he hasn't been raised. Because if he hasn't been raised, we got nothing. But if he has been raised, we have a future and we have a hope. And we have a certain hope and a certain future. And so what, the, what Solomon's saying is, you have a future. So when you begin to think about envying, what are the things that you envy most? How much value do you attach to those things? How much value do you attach to those things? And then when you look at the future and the hope you have, then how does that change the value of these things? So in my own personal life, when I was growing up, I had certain things that I really valued, I really wanted, I really desired. I, I would say I, I was an idolater. I wanted these things so badly. But now on the other side, or on the back side of life here, I'm realizing a lot of those things matter not. Yeah, I, I didn't even need 20 years to see they were valueless. I didn't even need, I improperly valued things. So Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher, talked about how screwed up we get in life. He tells a parable about a man who walks into a, 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 a large department store, and he switches all the prices on things. And he takes the prices on the real expensive stuff and he puts it on the cheap, you know, just junk stuff. And he takes the cheap prices and puts them on the big stuff. And he switches it that way. And he says, that's the way we live without God. We consider these trinkets to be of great value because look at what they are. And we undervalue those things that are most precious. Life helps you. Looking ahead to the day, you have to value whatever you envy. If it's a sleek body, if it's a better job, if it's a nicer car, put that against eternity and you will watch the value drop. But not only that, not only does eternity cause a more godly valuation on the things you're envying, but eternity also helps you that you do have desires and many of those desires are good and they will only be satisfied in glory. They'll only be satisfied. Jesus will satisfy every desire we have when we see him. You cannot be satisfied in the things of this world. God will not let you. But when you see him face to face, those yearning desires you have, I would even like to fuel them because then when he satisfies them, he'll even be more glorious to you. So we want to look up at God. We want to look ahead to the day. And then last, and this is just a freebie here, um, but in terms of overcoming envy, 
I would say begin to promote the people that you are most envious of. Begin to speak of the grace of God in their life. Begin to promote them to, themsel- to them, but also to others. Just make it your plan that when you are envious of something in somebody, that you would actually tell them how excited you are and, 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 and pray that you will feel that. Walk in obedience. God brings the feelings right behind it. Walk in obedience. Encourage people. If you're envious of that guy being a little brighter than you are, tell him how thankful you are. Man, you really are bright, and it has helped us a lot. Thank you for that. And I thank God for that gift that he's given you. I mean, what do we have that we haven't received anyway? And why do we boast as though we didn't receive it? That's for all of us here. What do we have that we haven't received? So thank God for it. It creates worship, and it crushes the envy. So how do we crush envy? Well, what do we envy? You're going to figure that out. You saw the cost. It's going to ruin you. It's going to ruin your relationships, and it's going to ruin your worship. If If you're starving, if you're coming to worship, and God's not working out for you, would you please see if this may be an impediment to you? Would you please consider that your envy may be thwarting the joy that you want to have in worship? And then overcoming envy is by looking up at God. Is he worthy? Is he not sufficient and glorious for all things? And then look ahead to the day. Let that revalue what you are so passionate about right now that you may not even be interested in three weeks. And then also promote within others those things that you envy, because God gave them those things. And make it an act of worship to God and encouragement to them. Let me pray for us. Begin pray. This is a, this is a big issue. This is the, as the, uh, it's one of the seven deadly sins, the second among most, in terms of its power and destructive capacity. So I'm going to start us in prayer. We're going to pray corporately. That means we're thinking of one another, not just our own needs, We're thinking about one another. We're going to pray briefly. We're going to pray loudly. And uh, and then an elder will come up and close us. And I'll begin for us. Father, Father, I thank you for the warnings. Thank you. I am envious of many. I confess that among my brothers and sisters. And pray, Father, that you would give us the grace to make an honest appraisal of our lives with one another. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.